What's going on? Welcome to a bonus or a special episode of PolitiChat. Been away for quite a while, and I've decided that uh, when I have something to say is when I'll do a show. Uh, but thank you for listening. really means a lot. This episode is going to be about Bernie. Why he's redefined, how he's redefined what's possible in American politics. Why the evidence doesn't back the Democrat establishment panic that Bernie can't win, why he is winning, and why he absolutely could win the election in November. Um, But if you're listening, uh, well, whenever you are, um, the 29th is the South Carolina primary, and of course you have all the establishment left-leaning uh, news sites like The Hill and HuffPo and, you know, all of those uh, garbage news sources. Um, they're saying that Biden leads, Biden's leading. This is what they do. They, they're trying to get Biden up there, and it's not going to happen. Um, you look at all everybody there. Um, Bloomberg is establishment. He's not even really a, a Democrat. He's 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 te- technically, you know, he registered as a Democrat, running as a Democrat, but he's just another Trump, really. And the evidence points to that. All you have to do is just look it up. Uh, Warren, she's just a a liberal Republican, and look at everything that she said recently, and the proofs there. Uh, Mayor Pete, the guy's a rat, and we saw that in Iowa. We saw that in Nevada. Um, we're going to see that, you know, on Super Tuesday. Uh, he's just, he's a rat, and he has a very, very uh, checkered history in uh, in Indiana. You look at uh, Klobuchar. There's some things that I liked, but, and this is going to make some people mad, but she's, honestly, she's just a pretty face up there. You know, her policies are not going to work out, and she has no chance of being president at all. Um, Then you get Biden. Come on. Biden is as establishment as you can get, and he has some serious, serious uh, issues that are starting to come up. Especially him saying that he was arrested trying to see Nelson Mandela in prison where the evidence came out and said, no, that's actually not true. Uh, He's lied about all sorts of things. And honestly, with the way that he talks, with the way that he's talking now, um, the semi-incoherent things, you know, I'd be watching him to see if he starts showing more severe, I guess is the right word, severe signs of dementia. I think we're starting to see the beginnings of dementia with Biden. Um, he's not as feisty as he used to be. He's not as, as pithy as he used to be. There's just there's something wrong with him. Then you get Tom Steyer, who I, I don't know why he's even there, honestly. Um maybe like the the Ron Paul of the Democratic candidates, you know, make some good points, but the reality is he'll never be president. I, I don't know. Uh, but then you have Bernie. And the movement surrounding Bernie has never been about getting, you know, one man elected to the White House. Uh, it's about building a movement of millions that can live long and outlive and outperform any single uh, electoral campaign. Um, The United States has long been thought of as a fundamentally conservative country where large numbers of people never go for the scary supposedly foreign socialism. Uh, pundits and historians have proposed many reasons why Americans have had it too good 
brought off by the overflowing abundance of this country. And socialist utopias have run aground, as uh, Werner Sombart wrote in 1906, on the shoals of roast beef and apple pie. Or when the points raised that many Americans have always been poor and overworked and exploited and oppressed, observers have speculated that there's just something unique and undefinable about the American soul that makes us allergic to socialism. We're too competitive, we're too individualistic, cooperation isn't in our nature. Not content with these explanations, um, establishment Democrats often focus on the singularly ferocious repression of labor and organizing throughout history and the successful division of the American working class through uh, racism, sexism, xenophobia, other forms of bigotry and oppression. Whatever the reason, it's true that no socialist party has played a notable role in American politics for the better part of a century. Even after the financial crash in 2008, the result of financialized crony capitalist systems that drove the entire economy into the ground in the reckless pursuit of profit. It wasn't the left, but the right in the form of the Tea Party that saw an immediate resurgence. Uh, eventually there was Occupy Wall Street, but even at those left-wing protests, uh, the concept of socialism remained on the margins. In the dominant culture, the principal use of the word socialist was absurd but powerful epithet thrown at decidedly non-socialist liberals like Obama. Um, a mass socialist movement remained out of reach, but Bernie changed all that. He showed that there is actually a hunger in American life for a critique of capitalism when it was attached to a bold, incredible policy agenda for redistribution of wealth and empowerment of the working class. He called that politics democratic socialism. Americans are supposed to be repelled by politicians like him who rallied against millionaires and billionaires and immune to exhortations to unite and fight along class lines. Yet, here's a man vying for the nomination of a major political party, giving the party elite a run for their money and putting class politics back on the map. So we owe Sanders a great deal for insisting and then proving that a different kind of politics in the country is possible, that contribution alone will likely reshape the U.S. political landscape for decades to come, putting long-dormant left-wing ideas back into play. But as important as his politics and his policy proposals are, honestly, they're not going to change the country and the world on their own and they might not even be the most significant part of his legacy as a political figure. Now, what matters more than Sanders' vision of democratic socialism is the movement that he helped set in motion. He doesn't only argue for free public health care and free college or Green New Deal. He says we need a political revolution in this country to achieve those policies. His nomination or his uh, campaigns, rather, have never been just about getting one man elected to the White House. They're about building a movement of millions that can outlive and outperform any single campaign. So, for those of us like myself who support Bernie Sanders and who are inspired by his call for political revolution and by the rise of other democratic socialist politicians like uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez... The recent teacher strike wave, the surge in the organized socialist movement, everything else has taken us all by surprise over the last few years. We have to ask, what lessons should we draw from the Bernie Sanders movement and how can we take all that energy that his candidacies have generated to build a movement that's bigger than a presidential candidate, bigger than a few dozen newly elected socialist representatives, bigger than anything that the left has seen in decades.
And that all comes down to three words. Not me, us. During one Democratic primary debate in June of last year, Bernie acknowledged his opponents had some good ideas, yet despite a preponderance of well-meaning plans, he asked, quote, how come nothing really changes? How come for the last 45 years wages have been stagnant for the middle class? How come we have the highest rate of childhood poverty? How come 45 million people still have student debt? How come three people own more wealth than the bottom half of the country? Then he answered his own question. He said, nothing will change unless we have the guts to take on Wall Street, the insurance industry, pharmaceutical industry, military industrial complex, and the fossil fuel industry. If we don't have the guts to take them on, we'll continue to have plans, we'll continue to have talk, and the rich will get richer, and everyone else will be struggling. He was arguing that the missing ingredient is class struggle. It's the only way to actually realize plans that improve life for the majority of people at the expense of the tiny minority who currently run the show. Bernie doesn't talk explicitly about what socialism means all that much, but it's clear from his advocacy of class struggle that he shares the broad outlines of a socialist analysis of what's wrong with capitalism. Capitalism is an economic system in which a small group of people own things like factories, companies, and money itself, and everyone else has to sell their labor to them in exchange for a wage, which they use to buy what they need to survive. Through their labor, workers create a surplus that's funneled into the boss's pockets as profit rather than being used for the good of everyone. The problem is that all of the capitalist decisions are driven by profit. If they don't make enough of it, their enterprises collapse. And the easiest way to maximize profit is to pay your workers less, make them work harder, longer hours, avoid deregulation, skimp on taxes, expand it to new markets by doing things like privatizing public goods, all of which are very bad for the working class. So these two classes are locked in a struggle. And since the capitalist class is more powerful because they have money, the working class always gets the short end of the stick. Under capitalism, the nation's tiny minority of economic elite has grown unfathomably rich by soaking up the wealth generated by the working people while those working people's wages have remained stagnant their lives have gotten worse and harder they struggle more those economic elites will not give up their power without a fight and that fight must be waged by millions of ordinary people taking action at their jobs and at the ballot box in the chambers in the streets bernie's campaign not me us signals his intention to use his campaign to incorporate people into that fight rather than merely convincing them to vote for him on the basis that he's competent and morally upstanding. At that same June primary debate, candidates were asked what single policy they would make a legislative priority if elected president. At that point, Bernie already had a number of detailed proposals, but he nonetheless rejected the premise of the question, saying, we need a political revolution. A political revolution is a tall order, but it's one we have some ideas about. Ideas that have come from watching the massive groundswell of support for Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. Interviewing organizers and newly elected officials who aren't afraid to embrace those policies and use electoral campaigns to build the kind of bottom-up movements that Bernie has called for. Seeing the surge in strikes and other kinds of militant labor organized by workers across the country, witnessing the emergence of robust movements against racism and sexism and xenophobia that's been stoked by Trump but existed long before him, participating ourselves in the New American Socialist Movement as members of the Democratic Socialists of America and staffers for the socialist magazine Jacobin. Nobody saw it coming, but... Bernie's campaign has given us all a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to transform our grotesquely unequal and unfair society, which is teetering on the brink of irreversible climate catastrophe. 
if we're going to seize that opening, we need to build a mass multiracial working class movement, one that's bigger and more powerful than Bernie. When we say nobody anticipated the political transformation of the last few years, we include ourselves in the ranks of those taken by surprise. We both had our ideas about what's politically possible in America uh, that's radically transformed by the Sanders campaign. Bernie has shown us that socialist ideas don't have to remain fringe. If we talk about them the right way, millions of people will support them. In fact, given how miserable the status quo has become for so many, and given how dissatisfied so many people are with tepid center-left solutions to our collective problems, huge numbers of people could be interested in socialism precisely because it's such a bold ideology. Maybe we're at the moment when people are actually hungry for bold, uncompromising ideas from the left and not terrified of them. Not only have we learned that there's an appetite for Bernie's robust program and an openness to his democratic socialism and democratic socialist label. We've also learned the the, uh, alternative, advancing a feeble, centrist political program against a vigorous hard-right populism. It doesn't work. The entire argument made by liberals and some progressives in favor of running Hillary for president against Trump in 2016 was that while she was perhaps less than ideal, given her long history of equivocation and occasionally outright reactionary politics, she would at least be a safe bet to defeat Trump, who represents a uniquely barbaric threat to the U.S. and the world, and as everyone knows, this electability argument turned out to not be true. The electable candidate was not elected. The Democrats preferred this safe strategy over the years, not only culminated in Trump's victory, but had resulted in devastation up and down the ballot from the halls of Congress to state houses and governorships throughout the country. This failure on the part of the Democrats should really shape and show how we approach electoral politics going forward. Americans are not excited by and they're not driven to vote for candidates who defend the status quo. If Americans are going to reject the rabidly racist and xenophobic politics put out by pro-corporate Republicans, they cannot be offered a slightly nicer, more diverse, less reactionary version by pro-corporate Democrats. They need a bold alternative political action and political vision informed by clear moral principles that stand in stark contrast to what's on offer from Trump and the right. Bernie offered that in 2016, and the next generation of left-wing politicians and electoral organizers can offer it going forward, confident that running on a robust and uncompromising left-wing vision is not only morally correct, but strategically shrewd. The rise to prominence of first-term Congress members Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, is a promising sign that this message is getting through. Not only have they all shown a willingness to use their offices to advocate for the working class, but they have also so far resisted immense pressure to fall in line with the Democrat establishment. All three endorsed Sanders for president at the lowest point of his campaign when he suffered a heart attack and pundits rushed to declare that he was finished. If they remain steadfast, they'll become anchors in the electoral wing of the movement that Bernie started for decades to come. But just as we can't rely on him alone, we can't solely rely on them either. We have to take the reins ourselves. We're convinced of the need for a political revolution in this country, and we think the revolution needs to be a democratic socialist one. And there are key questions that have to be addressed The first one, what exactly is so important about Bernie? We can answer this by briefly tracing the history of socialism. Uh, 
and class struggle in the U.S. through periods of militancy and retreat and looking at how Bernie's own political trajectory was shaped by but also stood outside of that history. Somehow through a wild amalgamation of left-wing politicization, a shrewd vision for how to operate independently from and outside the main currents of American politics, a unique personality and perhaps a sprinkling of dumb luck, Bernie cut a distinct path through the decades, going from a student socialist and a civil rights advocate to a long-shot third-party candidate, to mayor of Burlington, to member of Congress, to serious presidential contender. His truly singular political perspective and personal attributes make him the perfect and the only candidate with the credibility and experience to provide political leadership for a new era of popular awakening and a rebirth of class politics. A second question, which is just as important as a first, how should we approach electoral politics? Elections are a major factor behind the current resurgence of the left. After all, there's a lot to learn from Bernie's campaigns. The campaigns and in-office actions of public officials have come into his wake, from Ocasio-Cortez in the House to local elections like these six Chicago socialists who won election in city council, even um, unsuccessful campaigns that you may not have heard of, like the Javanka Beckles campaign for California State Assembly. These kinds of electoral campaigns are essential to continue building the political revolution. They're all examples of what we call class struggle campaigns in which candidates openly identify as socialists, aren't afraid to name the enemy, and work to build working class movements beyond their election, beyond the electoral politics altogether. Candidates who won successful uh, and waged successful class struggle campaigns will probably be in the political minority for the immediate future, but they can wield outside influenced by aggressively using their bully pulpit to promote socialist ideas. The Democrat Party, which has a monopoly on all electoral politics to the left of Republicans, despite being an essentially centrist or occasionally center-left party, that monopoly distinguishes the American situation from that of almost every other country on Earth. A major boon for the 1% and a disaster for the planet and the working class, both at home and abroad. The Democratic Party is fundamentally pro-capitalist, and that's unlikely to ever change, but in the short and medium term, there are serious barriers to our scrapping the Democrats and creating a new mass party that can actually fight for the vast majority of society. That's why we argue for an approach to the Democrats that's willing to use the party's ballot line, preventing us from being doomed to complete political irrelevance while laying the foundations for an eventual break with the party to create a future workers' party, which has been called a dirty break as opposed to a clean break strategy. Socialist organizations have a special role to play in building an independent working class movement and eventually a party. They offer invaluable education, a coherent direction, and common analysis for working around and organizing around the most pressing issues of the day, a strategic orientation toward the working class, and a deep sense of purpose and friendship people working together. Right now, there's no better political home for those who want to join the fight than the Democratic Socialists of America. We must have an inspiring long-term view of a revolutionized society, but also an actionable short-term agenda. There's great value in the struggle for reforms if those reforms can advance socialist values 
and erode capitalist power. Otherwise, it's just tinkering around the edges, and we won't help build a bigger movement that can wage and win more ambitious fights down the line. The labor movement in particular is important, given the centrality of the working class and making the world function. And the power workers can wield and they join together to fight the boss. A strong labor movement is one that's democratic and fights for the common good of all working class people. And the best way to build such a labor movement, as well as close the gap that currently exists between the socialist movement and the working class, is through what is called the rank-and-file strategy, which places an emphasis on building power at the shop floor level alongside other workers. And in recent decades, some of the most dynamic and transformative fights in the labor movement have emerged because of this type of bottom-up rank-and-file organization. If Bernie loses, old problems remain, and the fight continues. If he wins, the fight is far from over. In fact, it's dramatically escalated, as the capitalist class will immediately seek to undermine our attempts to remake society in both scenarios, the ability of the movement that has cohered around Bernie to stand on its own two feet and strategically exercise its power is an ultimate decisive factor. That movement is not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's something we can look at to reshape the world for the many and not the few. In particular, given the reality of climate change, we have no choice but to take advantage of this opening if we don't want to live our days in a dystopian nightmare. Capitalists and capitalism not only exploits the vast majority of people and maintains an order based on privatization and austerity that engenders needless suffering, they also drive the planet to the brink of disaster. And to pull it back from the precipice, we have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the industries that are destroying the planet, which means climate policies require a strong dose of class antagonism. If you want an habitable planet and a future for humanity, nothing less than democratic socialism will do. Liberals are not taking the threats we face seriously enough. They've gotten caught up in the sideshow rather than working to put forward an alternative to the misery of life in America under capitalism. Bernie, meanwhile, has shown that we aren't doomed to live in a world of inequality, oppression, and misery, that millions of people are ready for a critique of the current political and economic system we live under, and they're eager to create a society that's sustainable and gives everyone a chance to flourish as human beings. The movement that his interventions have sparked, which is just beginning to find its footing, is our best hope for winning that society. People often quote Warner Somarch's remarks about the preponderance of roast beef and apple pie, the incredible abundance that the working class supposedly has access to, as a way to explain why socialism hasn't really taken root here the way it was and the way it has elsewhere. However, less quoted is the ending of the 1906 book from which that line comes from. Sombart, having given his full explanation for socialism's absence in the U.S., had this to say, These are roughly the reasons why there is no socialism in the United States. However, my present opinion is as follows. All the factors that till now have prevented the development of socialism in the United States are about to disappear or be converted into their opposite, with the result that in the next generation, socialism in America will very probably experience the greatest political expansion of its appeal. Over a century later, those words ring true. We are in a rare, perhaps brief, window of political opportunity we need to seize it to go beyond the Bernie campaign and win socialism in our time so people can really
have a chance. A lot of Democrats are in full panic right now that Bernie's going to win the nomination and then get clobbered in the general. And then, of course, bring the party down, too. But the evidence, especially in the polling, doesn't back those warnings. And why does it matter? Well, virtually every national and swing state poll shows Bernie tied with or beating Trump. And unlike every rival, he has a huge base of fervent, unshakable supporters that he can only grow. A Quinnipiac poll released last week showed Bernie beating Trump in Michigan and Pennsylvania. A CBS News YouGov poll showed him beating Trump nationally. A Texas Lyceum poll, I hope I pronounced that right, showed Bernie doing better than Trump in Texas than any Democrat losing by just three points. Bernie has much larger followings on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter than any of his other rivals. And he has consistently shown new media sophistication that others lack. The man's base writes checks regularly, for years now making him the best-funded non-billionaire in the Democrat game. His supporters also show up on social media, at rallies, and at elections. Ask Trump if that matters. And it's not like Bernie hides his big government socialism. He screamed it to the nation for the past half a decade. Maybe voters don't care, but 45% don't care about the outlandishness of Trump. Peter Hamby, who works for Snapchat and writes for Vanity Fair, argued that bedwetting Democrats have it all wrong. If Bernie is unelectable instead of asking that ask another question what if he's actually the most electable democrat in the age of trump hyper partisanship institutional distrust and social media bernie could be examined as a candidate almost custom built to go head to head with trump running for president has always, always been about winning the attention war and the competition for attention has never been more difficult than it is in 2020. Bernie has way more old school and new age celebrity than the rest of his rivals combined. The bottom line, the truth is we're all clueless about what voters want or will accept. That includes everyone on Twitter and everyone inside the Democrat establishment. There's a reason why he's winning. And if you want to have a successful campaign, it helps to be extremely authentic as you run on ideas and policy that's very popular with the majority of people. During the presidential candidate debate in Charleston, South Carolina, Bernie said this, quote, I'm hearing my name mentioned a little bit tonight. I wonder why. A lot of the issues we'll be discussing tonight are issues that I raised four years ago. Raising the minimum wage to a living wage, 15 bucks an hour, making public college and universities tuition free, and finally, doing what every other major country on earth does, guaranteeing health care to all people as a human right through a Medicare-for-all, single-payer system. Well, single. Sorry, my notes are off. The debates have always been largely about the ideas put forward by Bernie. His agenda and his policy proposals have dominated the discussion at each one, including the South Carolina debate two days ago on the 25th of February. All the rest of those candidates, including so-called progressive Senator Elizabeth Warren, have spent most of the campaign trying to distinguish themselves from him. The further they get from this nationally popular position, the more their poll numbers go down. The week between the Nevada caucus, where Bernie had a blowout win, and the South Carolina primary coming up on the 29th, February, uh, it's no different. Democrat politicians, presidential candidates, and pundits all try to pounce on his willingness to reiterate former President Obama's comments about Cuban dictator Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution. 
but this carnal rove style red baiting was so far over the top that contestants as former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg called the presidential candidates he shared the stage with in Charleston virtually knocked in the teeth the most popular former president to do so. But these latest attacks against Sanders failed even before the primary debate in South Carolina started. And here's why. Earlier that day, the AP Style Guide published a reminder on Twitter about how to describe Sanders' ideology. It was an implicit acknowledgement by the AP that the phraseology of the political revolution was sure to dominate both the debate and the post-debate copy, where they tweeted, We lowercase democratic socialism. Do not capitalize unless a candidate stands for office as a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Even more significant, just a few hours before the debate, former progressive presidential candidate Jesse Jackson published an op-ed in the Chicago Sun-Times defending the use of the word democratic in democratic socialism. He wrote, quote, The important word in democratic socialism isn't socialism. It's democratic in 1966, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. confided to his staff there must be a better distribution of wealth and maybe America must move forward toward a democratic socialism. While not an outright endorsement, Sanders comparing, or Jackson rather, comparing Sanders' views to those of his mentor comes pretty close. Democratic socialism isn't the only concept that the Sanders campaign has popularized from railing against the billionaire class and the oligarchy to pledging to fight for the working class as organizer-in-chief, Bernie's choice of words is changing the way we talk and it's educating the public in ways no other candidate and no other campaign can. That's why he will continue to set the terms of public debate in the campaign because state by state, no matter what, the naysayers call him, his ideas are popular. The day after the South Carolina debate, House Speaker Pelosi said she'd be comfortable with Sanders at the top of the Democratic ticket in November. And honestly, Bernie could very possibly win this whole thing come November. We could very well be hearing these words next year. Please welcome the 46th President of the United States of America, Bernie Sanders. And those who say he has no chance of winning are denying the reality of our current state of American politics. Now, that being said, he might not be the nominee, but my point is that he could possibly win both the nomination and the White House, given the lessons of Trump's unexpected win. Now, I'm not comparing Bernie to Trump in any way, given that Trump is a man who traffics in bigotry and racism and continually defends Republican men accused of abusing women, such as uh, Roger Ailes. Um, But the Sanders campaign is fueled by a populist message, and it does share some commonality with the improbable run of Trump in 2016. First, both Sanders today and Trump during his campaign drew massive, passionate rallies. For example, in August of 2015, then-candidate Trump drew 30,000 at an event in Alabama. And at a time, that was when numerous experts gave Trump almost no chance of winning. Shortly before the New Hampshire primary in January of 2016, he attracted approximately 8,000 supporters at his rally near the border of neighboring Massachusetts. But today, Bernie is seeing comparable numbers and energy surrounding his campaign. Last Sunday, today being the 27th of February, he was scheduled to hold a rally at a 5,000-seat venue in Denver. But because of the tsunami of demand, the campaign moved to a larger venue where he drew more than 11,000. Two weeks ago, the night before the New Hampshire primary, 
He packed more than 7,500 into an arena, with USA Today noting that, quote, this event easily marked the largest in the Democratic contest in New Hampshire. A second similarity is that many pundits warned that if either secured the nomination, they would not only lose horribly, but drag the parties down with them. For example, Carl Rove, who should be in jail right now, who served as top advisor to George W. Bush, warned in January of 2016 that if Trump is the standard bearer, the GOP will lose the White House and the Senate and the majority in the House will fall. So now, Lindsey Graham, Mr. Theth, and Bale tweeted in 2016, if we nominate Trump, we'll get destroyed and we'll deserve it. Some Democrats were giddy at the prospect of running against him, predicting he would get crushed the same way that Barry Goldwater did in 1964, losing to President Johnson. In reality, in 2016, with Trump as the nominee, the Republicans held control of both the Senate and the House. And today you have some Democrats expressing identical concerns. If Sanders is the nominee, it will result in Democrats losing more moderate states and could enable the GOP to regain control of the House lost in 2018. That's what they're saying. That's not what I'm saying. Some have recently equated Sanders with the very progressive 72 Democrat nominee George McGovern, who went on to lose horribly to Nixon by 23 percentage points. Republicans are even expressing glee that Bernie might be the nominee, believing that they can use his democratic socialism as a boogeyman. First, can Republicans paint democratic socialism as something to fear? Fear is crucial in motivating voters and GOP politicians. Republicans are the masters of using it. They've warned of threats posed by everything from Muslims to immigrants to gay people. It'll be up to Bernie and the Democrat Party, if he wins the nomination, to explain that he's not a socialist in the traditional sense. Rather, he's explained in a speech last year his focus is completing Roosevelt's New Deal by, among other things, ensuring all Americans have health care as a right and helping to close the income equality gap by raising the minimum wage. But comparisons to McGovern's electoral fate fall flat. In a head-to-head matchup in 72, Nixon never polled less than 53%, while McGovern never got over 38%, at times trailing Nixon by over 30 points. In contrast, again, this being the 27th of February, Thursday night, um, last week in a poll from Washington Post ABC, it showed Bernie topping Trump 51% to 45 This poll doesn't mean that the election is going to turn out that way, but it does make it clear that Bernie currently attracts more support than McGovern ever did, and that Nixon was more popular by far in 72 than Trump is today. Now, we're only three contests into the process to pick a Democratic nominee. No one knows for certain who it'll be. And regardless who it is, Trump could still win re-election. But one thing's certain. History does tell us that Bernie has a viable chance of sitting behind the desk in the Oval Office come January 2021. The one thing people really need to do, and the one thing that I hope people do, is um, learn to, to see what... what the news is is talking about learn to see what they're saying and learn to uh, distinguish what's true and what isn't you're going to see as Bernie becomes more and more popular you're going to see more and more and more lies and spin and quite frankly propaganda because the corporate media They love Bloomberg. They want Bloomberg. And we can see that with the amount of money that he spent. But you can spend all the money you want. It doesn't guarantee you're going to win. 
So the thing I guess I'll uh, wrap this up with, and then we'll play this very appropriate uh, song by Elvis. Um, educate yourself regarding the platform of each candidate. Go to their websites. Look at the issues. Look at what they say. And watch the debates. You know, listen to their speeches. Um, if they give a press conference somewhere, go to YouTube and look them up. You have to know and you have to see what they're saying. Because that way you can use that against them. That's all I really have to say. Appreciate you listening. It means a lot. And uh, I'm going to end with this. That really says it all, doesn't it? Absolutely fantastic. That was actually from Elvis's 68 Comeback Special. Uh, if you don't know that song, what's wrong with you? I wanted to end with uh, a little bit of encouragement for people who... Maybe you watch the news. Maybe you watch NBC or CNN or whatever. And you find yourself maybe being a little discouraged and what you're seeing, just the way that they're treating Bernie or the way that they're, you know, quote-unquote, reporting. But the thing is this. The most important thing. We all know what we believe in. We all know what Bernie's platform is and what he believes is the right thing to do. We have to keep fighting. We have to keep fighting. And we have to be more more vocal we have to speak louder 
because the establishment voices are already loud. They have been for decades. We just need to be louder. It doesn't give us an excuse or a reason to be mean or rude or insulting because that's not what Bernie wants. That's not what Bernie's all about. We can disagree with what Elizabeth Warren says or what Pete Buttigieg says or what Michael Bloomberg says, but it doesn't give us the permission. It doesn't give us the reason to, quite frankly, act like a bunch of assholes because that's not going to do any good for anyone. We've already seen what that does with Trump. And in a way, that's why he won. Of course, with the help from Russia, that didn't hurt either, you know. But um, we just need to be uh, resilient. We need to fight harder because the establishment is going to do whatever they can. The closer we get to Election Day, the closer we get to uh, getting a nominee, if it's Bernie, it's going to be relentless. And the Democrats have two options, really, at this point. They can get behind somebody who can beat Trump, or they can lose and deal with four more years. And God knows what those four more years would be like. For me, honestly, I'm beginning to see the beginnings of 1940s Germany with Trump. And if we're not careful, we're going to see that all over again. So for the Bernie supporters like myself, keep fighting. Um, Stay resilient. Stay positive. Be prepared to work hard. And be prepared to work harder. But also, don't forget to be polite. Don't forget to be... um, don't insult, you know, because you're playing right into their game. You have the facts to back up what you're saying. Use those. And um, that's really all I have to really say about that. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot. And um, let's just see what happens with South Carolina. That's on the 29th. And March 3rd is Super Tuesday. Once Super Tuesday is over... I'll hop back on and talk about what happened, but thank you for listening. It means a lot, and uh, I'll see you then after Super Tuesday. <laughs>